This is a story about control. My control. Control of what I say, control of what I do. And this time I'm gonna do it my way. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Are we ready? I am. Cause it's all about control. And I've got lots of it. This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you're listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 41, Divided Loyalties. Well, 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 uh, we may not get the telepath a whole lot, but when we get her, boy, do we get her. (laughs) (sighs) A moment of silence. Let's a moment of silence in memory of uh, some classic unusual lines in costuming and (laughs) and unrequited love for a security chief Mm -hmm. or a lieutenant commander. Well, I don't that know, was that may have been requited. Yeah, I'm I'm betting that was requited. Requited. <laughs> I mean, it was the it was the early '90s, but it was requited. Uh-huh. <laughs> here, here. I think we might as well before we get too deep into this because I know everybody's curious to hear what Stephen thought about this one. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the. <laughs> I mean, I know I was before we watched it. I so. know it's you know another farewell. We've said we, we we've said so long for our Sinclair checks. And mm-hmm. now it's like, you know, it's... it's no more it, telepath watch. No, no more Stephen and Talia checks. <laughs> yep. You know, I was... I know you two are married and stuff, but I was to the point of shipping them. <laughs> uh, he'll be thrilled. And by thrilled, I mean not at all. <laughs> so if this happens to be your first episode of Babylon 5 and you have no idea why we are uh, joking about my husband, Stephen. Um, well, I'm not going to explain about that. You'll have to listen to all the other episodes of the audio guide to Babylon 5, but I will tell you what you need to know about Babylon 5 in order to hop on with this story. So Babylon 5, a space station in neutral territory, is home to lots of commerce, several ambassadors from alien planets, and a command staff who has joined a conspiracy within Earth Force, that's Earth's military, to determine who killed Earth's previous president and whether his successor was involved. Shortly after Vorlon Ambassador Kosh arrived on the station, this is long ago, a commercial telepath named Lita Alexander saved his life by reading his mind. After she left the station, her replacement, Talia Winters, arrived and had a rocky relationship with Commander Susan Ivanova. But as Talia learned more and more about the dark side of her employers in Psycor, things changed. And that pretty much brings us up to Divided Loyalties in which Lita Alexander returns to Babylon 5 after having escaped Psycor and joining revolutionaries on Mars. She claims there's a traitor on Babylon 5, a traitor who doesn't even know it. There's a hidden personality buried in the mind of someone close to the command staff, and Talia, or excuse me, and Lita can reveal it by sending a trigger password. Ivanova is firmly against this because, as we learn in this episode, she is a latent telepath and has been hiding it from the Psycor for her entire life. Susan and Talia's relationship deepens just in time to learn that Talia is the secret traitor and her quote-unquote real personality is destroyed. The quote-unquote control personality takes over and is going to take all of her secrets back to Psycor. 
Meanwhile, we get a few scenes between Captain Sheridan and Ambassador Delenn that look suspiciously like flirting teenagers. And the cherry on the sundae is that Lita knows something about Kosh that she's not sharing with anyone. So that's Divided Loyalties. Um, kind of a big episode on the Talia front. Um, maybe not as momentous on any other front, but I think that's enough, don't you guys? Yeah, I think that's plenty. <laughs> when you have a character who's, you know, been there since um, the regular episodes started. Lita Alexander only showed up in the pilot movie, uh, The Gathering, way back when. Um, and while, yes, she may have been you know, here and there and here and there, like a lot of our other sort of secondary characters, uh, the attaches to the ambassadors and so forth. Uh, she's still been a presence for, you know, almost two years on, on this show. And uh, apparently now she's gone. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of interesting to have this kind of a callback to a pilot movie that very few people at the time that this originally aired saw. Mm-hmm. And I, about that. I think that is one of the hazards of uh, of a of a five year arc. You can't always resist the urge to call back. Not only are you bringing back an old character, but this episode is chock full of references and even flashbacks to previous episodes all over the place. You've got stuff about. You've got references to Lita in in the pilot movie. You've got references to uh, Jack shooting uh, Garibaldi in the back. You've got mm-hmm. there Sheridan's dream. Sheridan's dream, and we get a oh, flashback right. to that. You know, this is designed to wrap up a lot of threads. It's designed to reinforce that a lot of this stuff was done. And sometimes I feel like that gets in the way of this episode a wee little bit, that there's so much exposition in there going, see, this is how it all fits. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Stephen would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, I'm, rather than waiting till the end, I'm just going to tell you what he thought of it now. He he said in the end he liked the episode. I think he appreciated the boldness of the storyline choice with Talia um, and, and just thought it was, was good, except he ended up getting very confused. And I think it was all of those things that you just mentioned, Chip, that, that really sort of threw him off. I feel like they had, and I agree with him, one flashback too many um i I think the flashbacks to the gathering pretty much worked because you know that was something he had seen but at this point that was a very long time ago since we're doing this only every other week so he he needed i think that little push um to kind of help remember um i don't i don't think it was enough to really cement it in his mind because he still didn't really remember ambassador kosh even getting hurt (laughs) in the first place (laughs) so so it was good that they they pointed back to that as much as they did but then later on you have the uh have the flashback to you know reflection surprise terror for the future which is a completely different episode had nothing to do with lita and kosh uh in the gathering but it did still involve kosh so steven ended up being confused and wondering okay so did kosh plan all of this is kosh the one that somehow planted the personality in talia's head he was he just (laughs) wasn't able to follow all of that because of how much was being thrown at him at the time so i had to kind of just go through and and re-explain it so if anybody else out there was confused by that no it was it was definitely psychor that planted this personality um in talia or or some faction of psychor we're still not exactly clear on who did it but it's it's in there and 
Kosh didn't have anything to do with it. Um, what Stephen was most annoyed by was that that flashback. It was Garibaldi having this flashback to the scene with Talia and Kosh. But Garibaldi wasn't there. Yeah. Talia she told just, him about it. She told him about it, yes. But that totally confused Stephen. And then you have Garibaldi saying, I need to go check on something. And he never comes back and says that he checked on it. Um, which, I mean, it's a serialized show, so that's not the end of the world. But Stephen was very much expecting a resolution to that in this story. So that, that was another thing that kind of threw him off. Resolution? Well, maybe not resolution, but at least uh, <laughs> him to come back to it in the same episode. It. And admittedly, it is kind of weird to have a character say, I need to go check on something. And then yeah. like that just to get completely dropped uh, in well, the same episode. That flashback and the one before it to Sheridan's dream. Mm -hmm. Those flashbacks are for nobody but the audience. Mm -hmm. yep. This is what that little bit of the dream meant, y'all. It's about uh, it's about Susan hiding the fact that she's a latent telepath. The mm -hmm. the bit with Abbott and the vicar, that's what that was all about, was uh, presumably, you know, we read into this thing that Kosh was aware that Talia had uh, implanted personality. And just in case, he'd be able to use that data crystal or whatever it was against her. That's sort of what you can read into it. But there's no purpose for the characters to remember these things and not tell each other about them mm -hmm. other than, hello, attentive audience member. See, it all fits. It's mm -hmm. JMS talking to the audience. And I'm mostly okay with this because I love the arc of the story. I love where this is all going. But it does feel a little it does feel a little ham-fisted. I don't. I, I. I. don't think I was confused when I watched this for the first time, but it is a lot of stuff. It is. It, it. No question. There is an awful lot of stuff that is happening here, but it's also being exposited on. Do you think? And I'm trying to remember because um, I haven't refreshed my memory for uh, with the Lurker's Guide or anything else. How much of a rush was this? I mean, if I remember correctly, uh, Andrea Thompson, the actress, uh, wanted to wanted to leave the show, wanted to do other things. And so JMS wrote this way out for her character, in theory. And I'm trying to remember how much lead time he had for that. If he had to sort of tie everything up in a bow, that may explain a bit why he was um, so in your face with it. According to him, every character had a trap door. Yes. And it seems pretty obvious from a lot of hints that we got in previous episodes from Abbott and the Vicar and all this stuff to um, sort of flashes of dreams that Talia had with the sort of robotic face, sort of face in the background and things like that. You know, it was pretty clear that she had the implanted personality all along. Mm -hmm. named control and control was the one who was working with bureau 13 back in the spider in the web back in the spider in the web so there's no question that this was not created just out of whole cloth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. andrea thompson wants to go let's make her a bad guy that didn't happen um so but I don't know that, you know, it was her idea to leave. Uh, there were reports that she was, and, and JMS even said a couple of times that she wanted, you know, she wanted more screen time. She wanted her. <laughs> she want, probably would agree. Probably would agree. <laughs> she wanted the her appearances on the show to be more meaningful. 
And, you know, one could argue that just as with uh, Delin, just as with each of the characters has their moment in the sun and then the storyline goes away and another one comes up, uh, one might have argued that if she'd just been patient, she would have had more to do later on. But she wants to go, okay, let's pull the trigger. And while we're pulling the trigger, let's explain all of this other stuff that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the Talia storyline now, <clears throat> rather than talking about how how it plays out in the story, um, what do you guys think of this this end to her character? Were you sad? Were you happy to see her go? And how did it hit you the first time you saw it? I think it was hoped that it would hit harder than it did, if that makes any sense. Part of the mm-hmm. problem is, of course, it's been you know, what, five, six, seven episodes since we've seen her in the mini arc of A Spider in the Web and uh, that the other episodes around that. We have not had on-screen development of her and Susan's friendship, really. I mean, we've seen bits here and there, but it's been so quiet. And all of a sudden, they're having dinner together and they're joking. And, you know, Susan is willing to let her stay stay over while her apartment is being renovated. Um they're sharing a bed. Yeah, I that mean, feels. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that feels. You know, kind of out of the blue, and you know, a bit of the. You know. You know. See, this is what's been going on. So I think we were meant to. In my case, I remember being surprised. I re- that 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 it was a twist. The reveal. I thought it was kind of cleverly done to have Lita, you know, just, you know, person after person and Lita sends the password and Lita sends the password and here comes somebody else and Lita sends the password and without even thinking and boom, uh, control is revealed. So I liked a lot of things about this episode, but I'm, I'm not sure I felt it as deeply as I was supposed to. I can see that. I thought it was fairly powerful. I enjoyed it as a story re- revelation and I thought that... The final conversation between um, Susan and Talia is a bit of a gut punch, uh, but there's yeah. but, and, and Andrea Thompson sells it. That something I noticed in particular this time is just how well she portrays this second personality. I mean, her hair is a bit different, her posture, her you know everything about her is shouting, you know, I'm not the Talia people knew. Yeah, I mean, she's contemptuous. And that's something that uh, Andrea Thompson never did with Talia before. That was satisfying from a story from a story background. It's just that there's so much that you have to wade through to get to this. Um, it's not just a mystery. It's also, like I said before, exposition, and that I think gets in a way in the way a little bit. I was okay with Ivanova and. Winters' relationship progressing off screen. I don't see any places where that could have been worked into in any stories in that interim. But maybe if they had taken a little less time to explain every little thing that had happened in previous episodes, maybe we could have had a little bit more time. I mean, the the Ivanova and Winters relating in this episode pretty much is conversations in the in the living room you know and and mm-hmm. and, and i would have i would have liked to have seen more frankly mm-hmm. i would have liked to have seen them kiss <laughs> well yeah, yeah that would have been nice but at that time i think that would have been probably a little bit much I we mean, have to remind ourselves that this is the early 90s and that it actually would have been controversial it in really some would quarters. have been 
And especially, that- especially since this is not network television, but this was on like small independent stations. Some of them probably run by churches in, mm-hmm. um, no mm-hmm. offense, Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know they they. He, they are a little more subtle than it's certainly more subtle than it would have been today. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, for a show like this, basically fighting for its survival all the time uh, when you're on little stations like that who can just decide to drop shows for no reason at all. You have to play it a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, than you, than you could otherwise. So, so I agree with that. Um, for me, the first time I saw this story was kind of looping around because the first time I saw Babylon Five, I started in in season three, and I the series where I come clean, I never really liked Talia very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <clears throat> When I went back and, you know, because I started watching in season three, and I'm not going to say too much about that, I I wasn't super familiar with the Tolly Winters character. And I was, I so I did still get to know her the same way somebody watching from the beginning would get to know her. And I just, I never thought her performance was all that great. I didn't particularly like the character. I kind of thought Ivanova could do better. Um, so, <laughs> so... I, but I was of two minds at, at the way that she left. I was I was kind of happy that the character was going away because I wasn't super fond of her. But at the same time, I still also experienced the gut punch of the way that she left. Because, you know, for all that she wasn't my favorite, wow, having her personality destroyed and having this even worse personality put in its place, I was just like, that is cold. Um, so so I think it, it even though I wasn't a huge Talia fan, I think that that plot twist really worked for me um and also just i just wanted to go and give susan a hug yeah because <laughs> wow just wow and and um, claude and throughout this episode claudia christian just feels so small vulnerable and young mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. she is you know she's devastated by talia but she also has to reveal that she's a latent telepath, something that she's been hiding throughout the entire series comes a little bit out of the blue. Uh, we had a couple of hints earlier on when she could tell that uh, she was being scanned and things like that um, mm-hmm. in previous episodes, but she just seems so small when she's waiting in, in, in Sheridan's quarters, that, that great scene where Sheridan's just preoccupied, walks right past her and is like, wait, there she is. And she's almost meek. When have we ever seen Ivanova meek? I know. Mm-hmm. It really puts a little extra punch behind that part of the uh, of the story. And then, you know, it, clearly they're setting us up to think, oh, my gosh, it's it's Ivanova that it that has yeah. the implanted personality. And Stephen was just like, I did not think it was Ivanova for a moment because it had to be Talia because she's never in episodes. So the fact that she's <laughs> in this episode meant that it had to be her. So from his standpoint, the, um, the mystery did not actually work from a storytelling standpoint simply because – the fact that she was there was a red flag that there was something going on with her. Although he did kind of wonder how she was able to get out and shoot at Lita. And I pointed out that, you know, they had, she had woken up and Ivanova was gone. So that gave her the opportunity to, uh, to get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I agree with uh, so many scenes that Claudia Christian does really, really well. Um, This time around, I've thought that, you know, using Susan as the red herring was very ham fisted. Um, You know, whether, whether or not it was believable, um, it was very in your face and, you know, not, not quite subtle enough to, to really sell it. Yeah. We've had, we've had through the series to this point, the, 
you know, Ivanova has something to hide kind of thing has always come up a little bit. And people and fans were at the time speculating that the reason that she doesn't want to be scanned is she's actually a traitor and things like that. And mm-hmm. so that helps that helps sell this a little bit more, I think. But, yeah, she is clearly intended to be the red herring. And the story doesn't really set anyone else up. Definitely not Franklin. Pretty much not Sheridan. And and, and not even really Garibaldi. So it's those, those two are the only ones left. That or random people that we've never seen before right. walking right. up in front of uh, Sheridan. Once, once, uh, once they get past uh, Corwin and uh, Zach Allen, you know, it's clearly not going to be anybody else because we've never seen them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would just be that would just be silly. All right. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about uh, along that plot line before we move on to either Lita and Kosh or Sheridan and Delenn? Well, I'd like to talk about I'd like to talk about Lita a little bit All right. um, because <clears throat> she is so different from the Lita Alexander we saw in the pilot. She mm-hmm. looks younger. She's far more animated. She's far more physical. I mean, it's it's practically a different character, and that's okay because uh, we haven't seen this character for two years on the show. So you've got a bit of a you've you've got a bit of a blank canvas to work with. Um, but not only do you just have a blank canvas because of the time, but they tell us that you know Garibaldi says that she was never the same after she scanned Kosh. So they can basically mm-hmm. do whatever the heck they want with her character yep. because they've written it in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And if that's not enough for some viewers, there's the fact that she's apparently spent you know the last couple of years a good chunk of it, uh, six months of it, on the run. After being, mm-hmm. you know, pressured by Psycor, constantly trying to batter the knowledge of the Vorlons out of her. Yeah. But uh, Patricia Tallman doesn't have an awful lot to do in the pilot. Uh, she is shown around. She does a couple of negotiation scenes. Uh, she... She tells Jakar to get off. Yeah. She she tells... Yeah. <laughs> and then she fingers Kosh, and then she fingers Sinclair. That's a nice pun there, don't you think? Yeah. Uh huh. Wow, Chip, this is a family show. Oh, oh, oh! I didn't yeah. mean to go there. Um, uh, you know, fingers like you know points the blame at. And, there you know, we go. Yeah. What is this? Nineteen forty-two. Fine. <laughs> and then uh, Tallman portrays the Minbari and the Changeling net going, um, going hissing and going, and you know, shooting and things like that, but. She and Lita Alexander don't have that much to do in the story. She doesn't establish herself as a strong character. But uh, coming in just out of the blue in this episode, I I really like her. She's fun to watch, and I like the I like the scene that she has with with Delin when um, she's on the video screen. She says, "Are you in some kind of trouble?" And I think I'm in about all every kind of trouble there is, and she's just kind of shrugging. You know, where, where's our where's our shruggy emoticon uh, there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like I, I like Patricia Tallman in this episode, and I like Lita Alexander. 
I quite like her too. I thought that was good. And actually, that scene that you just mentioned, I wanted to point out was was I think a particularly well directed one because um, but the acting was good, as you mentioned, and also every shot that you got of Delenn had these reflective mirror crystals sort of hanging in the background, and each one of them was reflecting Lita's face off of the hmm. screen. And I was just like, this is above and beyond what you usually get on a weekly television show. So I was was pretty impressed by that. But Shannon, what did you think of Lita? Um, Overall, I really liked the character as well. Uh, I thought a couple of places um, the dialogue was over the top, but that's, you know, JMS's fault. That's not the actress's fault. And um, I thought uh, that Patricia Tallman uh, overall sold very well um, all of these different emotions that she was trying to portray. I want to point out one thing that I noticed this time that I had not noticed before, and that is when... Ivanova is asking Talia if she knows anything about this Lita Alexander person because she wants to know if she should trust her. Mm -hmm. And Talia says, you know, she's very nice, very sweet. We were close at one time. Mm -hmm. And given the way that the relationship seems to have gone between Ivanova and and Talia, um, I I wonder if perhaps Hmm. Lita and Talia had actually been a, a couple or lovers at one time as well. I picked that up this time. Could be. Yeah, that hadn't occurred to me before, but that's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. I'd like to uh, pick up on something Shannon said about uh, dialogue. And I think that this is generally a ham-fisted episode dialogue-wise from start to finish. Uh, from the conversation between uh, Sheridan and Delenn at the Universe Today uh, kiosk, <laughs> which is I real. I would give that one a pass just because it was cute. It's you're right. cute, but it's labored. And side note, anybody who's ever complained about the supposedly wobbling sets in uh, Doctor Who, the damn Universe Today dispenser. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> this yeah. is the 23rd century, yo. Um but uh, and there's a little bit of direct direction here as well. But so many of the lines in this episode um, don't feel natural at all, all the way up to uh, Garibaldi shaking his hand at the end about how they nearly brought uh, Talia into the cell group. And he's mm-hmm. sort of shaking my his, his head and saying, you, you know, that's it. It's not naturalistic at all. No, and, actually, and much of this episode is that way. The part that I found the very worst was Lita's last scene with Kosh, where she's staring at Kosh and, mm-hmm. you know, saying that they never got it out of her head and she made it like a tiny yeah. little piece. piece. And I mean, some of that was, was OK, but I felt like a lot of it just did not seem like the kind of real monologuing a person would do in that situation. You know, I give it a yeah. pass. I, I give it a pass. So you give that one a pass and I'll give the universe today a pass. There OK, we go. we'll shake on it. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else on Lita and Kosh, or can we move on to talking about the apparent lovebirds, Sheridan and Lynn? Well, then. I don't know. I just it, that to talk about ham fisted and hitting you over the head with something. I felt like uh, that maybe that scene between the two of them in the garden was uh, was a little over the top as well. I don't, what did you guys think about that? I love the garden scene, but then I'm a language nerd. So just the idea that, you know, (laughs) she would mishear what he said and he would discover that she has no idea that particular anatomical part of a human body. Um, And, of course, what she's doing, she's playing with the word and she's trying to conjugate it like a verb. And, you know, (laughs) I think by that point, I I think by that point, she's figured it out and she is just uh, torturing him. (laughs) I don't know. I but you but she. Yeah. I I think by that point she figured it out that at least it's not a verb. Mm, 
maybe. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, the the fact that you know he's you know like now you sound like a motorboat, and she's like, I don't like that. Um, I don't know. And it then she, but then like she it. says motorbutt, which makes me yeah. think that she is just having fun with him. So maybe you're right, Chip. Of course, I'm right. <laughs> oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. I will raise my hand and say I actually do really love that scene. But I felt like it might have been, and it it wasn't. I I love the languagey bits too. So I like the fact that they're relating on that level. It was more, I think, the direction of that scene that just seemed so. Beverly Hills 90210 or something. Just the way the way the camera was focusing on uh, the, the goofy looks on their faces and, you know, the hand touching and how Delenn just sort of like turns and almost skips out of the room. It was it felt a little bit um, tonally like too far shifted from the way things have been and then the rest of it for me. But you know what? I'm not complaining because I thought it was cute. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to complain either. I think there's some... So some justification. I mean, we just came off of Confessions and Lamentations where she, you know, went through this harrowing experience of watching every single Marcab in her presence die. And then, you know, she mm-hmm. collapses into Sheridan's arms, uh, someone that, you know, and she did, wasn't sure if she was ever going to see him again when she went in. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to fault her for feeling somewhat giddy and lighthearted after the initial emotions of that experience have worn off. Um, you know, there's also the fact that, you know, she's got more colorful costuming yet again. We've been seeing her shift to much more feminine and flowy things. Um, her hair, she's pretty much stopped worrying about doing anything other than, you know, making sure it's clean and brushed. You know, she's not styling mm-hmm. it anymore. It seems like somewhere along the line, she's sort of come to terms with something in herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like that they're clearly becoming more small eye intimate with each other. They're becoming more comfortable with each other, and it looks like that they are aware that they are crossing lines or boundaries. Not that they're invading each other's space or anything like that, but every once in a while in this episode, like when um, Delenn brings Lita back to the group after Lita's been on the run, Sheridan sort of stiffly, because, you know, he's with everybody else and all this stuff, you know, ambassador, you Mm -hmm. know, but... When it's just the two of them, clearly their comfort level is increasing. And when your comfort level increases with someone, suddenly you ask yourself, what exactly am I doing here? And awkwardness sort of sets in. It's an interesting back and forth uh, between those states for both of them. And I even like the camera movement when um, she's talking to him and we're holding on his reaction and he looks down and the camera follows and surprise her hands on his. You know, I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I like it too. It just did. It, I don't know. Maybe it's because the the subject matter of the rest of this story was, was so heavy. And that's a, a bit of a complaint that we've had from time to time that you get one storyline that's, that's really de- dark and heavy. And then another one that's, that's lighter. And in some cases it balances out. And in some cases it just feels like a tonal shift. That's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, all right. Well, anything else you guys want to cover before we dip into spoiler space? If you're going to send a character off, this is kind of the way to do it. It's not Chuck Cunningham suddenly being written out of Happy Days. You know, <laughs> you know um, the actress wanted to go. The trap door is opened. The character falls through it pretty dramatically and everybody else is sitting around going wow that must have hurt 
And there are clear implications for all of this. Among the skillions of, uh, reference, of references to previous episodes in this, you know, that scene at the end, you know, what where they're assessing, what did she know? Well, she knew mm-hmm. about the Underground Railroad. What do we na- need to do about that? You know, things like that. This has impact. We don't know if you're a new viewer whether this is how this is going to affect Susan Ivanova going forward. Uh, we don't know what repercussions Talia having been control are going to have on them going forward. But you know, it's it's a it's a big development. It's a big development for the series. Um, so on the whole, I think it's a really good episode. I would like it to have been executed a little better. That's all. Mm-hmm. Agreed. As Chip was talking, it just hit me. And, you know, this may just mean, you know, be me and my overworked, overstressed brain not putting the pieces together at the moment. But we had that scene at the beginning with the two rangers trying to pass the data crystal on. At least one of them was a ranger. The other one wasn't wearing a ranger uniform. But yeah, but that the implication is they were working together. And then I was waiting to see what happened with that. And then the next thing that happens, the ship that Lita is on is there. And I'm trying to figure out, did anything happen with the data crystal at all? I I think the data crystal just had the information about the implanted personality and probably the password on it. Okay. Uh, But Lita was the one that had to deliver it because she was the only one that could send the password successfully because it had to be zapped right into somebody's skull. All right. Because I don't remember any dialogue helping me link those two scenes, like the the arc at all. Well, there was – Lita did – point out that they lost one of their best men. Um, right. So I guess maybe maybe the guy that died was not actually a ranger. He was part of the Mars resistance because that's mm-hmm. who Lita had been working with. And she said yeah. that they had lost one of their best best people to get this information. Okay. But isn't it interesting that there's a ranger on Mars? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah, Steven thought it was interesting that they were even on Mars. I mean, every time yeah. we've gotten like little scenes occasionally other places you know even if it's just you know the planet when they went down to uh install what's his name in the machine you know epsilon Uh, three yeah yes so he's steven's always kind of like we're we're not on babylon five what is this so at the (laughs) beginning he was just kind of like mars what's happening here (laughs) so that's kind of exciting well shannon and i noticed that when we were watching this uh that you know i aside from epsilon three i think the only amount of significant screen time that we've spent on another planet to this date is in the centauri throne room yep that was everything else i could think of everything else has been uh mediated by a view screen Mm mm-hmm Pretty much, yeah. So, um, and I actually think that this is evidence. Um, I, I think we can say that this is actually a Babylon Five Star Wars crossover. I think the guys on Mars were Bothan spies. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, only one died to bring us this information. There we go. Works for me. Headcanon yeah. accepted. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing that I can think of, um, just uh, every single time Garibaldi's peekaboo stunt makes me cackle. Every single time, no matter how many times I watch it, it is just so goofy. He is that. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't like it? I didn't like it. (laughs) I can't, I just can't see a professional security guy who is serious enough that he handed over his sidearm to someone else just in case. But is a lifelong fan of the Looney Tunes. 
You can't tell me that he would not think to do something like he that. He might think about Whether it, but he... he might also think that Sheridan had his gun. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, I mean, what we do is we edit this for YouTube, and we have um, we have uh, Garibaldi. Do we know if the doing do doing the, the doing the face thing, and then we splice in guys from Scanners or something like that with heads exploding because Sheridan shoots him in the head. I don't. But, I think that he's uh, savvy enough to know that wouldn't happen because they want to find out what happens once the password is. Uh, yeah. Either is that, sent, or so. either that, or he palmed the the part that goes into the butt that actually charges it. Oh, that could be too. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that is kind of a, a dumb Garibaldi thing to mm-hmm. do. I'm not saying that I, I like it, but I feel like it was in character. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, on that uh, on that divisive note, we should uh, <laughs> we should turn toward towards some spoilers. So, if this is your for- first time going through Babylon Five, uh, after I give you your homework, it will be time for you to take your leave of us because you don't want to be spoiled. Well. Most of you probably don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. Um, So for next time, your homework is to watch The Long Twilight Struggle. And feel free to come and visit us online at b5audioguide.com. We have threads both for for spoilers and for spoiler phobes. So you can talk uh, talk about the stories and learn as much or as little as you would like to about what is to come. You can also find us on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. We love to hear from you. So, and you um, can also tell us if the this podcast deserved the clean tag after I made the finger joke. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think it's fine. We'll give you one. So yeah, now we are going to talk about some spoilers over yonder in spoiler space. So let's just start with the uh, winged elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. the, the unfurl sound uh yeah Again. so so we got kosh so we've got i think quite a bit of future stuff to talk about when it comes to kosh and lita and the vorlon so anybody want to jump into that moat <laughs> well i can't help but wonder this time uh watching it again if the pull that lita is feeling to go to the vorlons if kosh didn't sort of Toss that in way back when, if he had the chance to, back in the gathering, because he knew the, the um, that the forces of light are going to need telepaths um, to to stop the shadows. That that's their one their one biggest weakness. Totally, and I wonder if he actually told her everything that was coming about the or, or not everything, but you know, told her about Shadow War. I'm going to need somebody, you know, because um, in the future she is going to be really close to Kosh. Mm-hmm. You know, Very. really close. Kosh and the Vorlons are manipulative. It seems clear that when she uh, when she probed his mind, that she saw him as an angelic figure or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, she saw him as he wanted to be seen, and she's just wrapped up in him. She is loyal to him. I, I think that he made her an offer because Kosh has been. You know, he's manipulative, but throughout the series up until his end you know he's he's portrayed as honorable mm-hmm. so he offered her a deal and she and said i wonder if i'll take it two stages to this that you know the first one was to you know create some kind of link to get her um interest up in him and then the fact when she came back now and she sees him and tells him i didn't tell anybody i you know made absolutely certain that nobody could get that information from me and i think because 
and that's when she's going to wind up actually getting into Vorlon space because she's proven that she can be trusted. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to I tend to think that way, Shannon, because I, I didn't get the impression that she had you know, that there was any sort of offer made at this point. I think the Vorlons are are probably more subtle than that. So yes, by reaching into Kosh, he did hook something into her, but it wasn't you know, it, it was almost what she said. Just a feeling that she couldn't quite describe. Uh, you know, like a rubber band now pulling her back to him. And the fact that she was able to get through this all without revealing anything to the Psychor, which, you know, seems like a kind of a fantastic thing for her to be able to do. She's only a P5, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I can't imagine the uh, the level of the probably Psychops that were, that mm-hmm. were scanning her. He probably um, helped her with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he had a, she had a little help there. But then she gets back here. And now I, I do think you're right, Shannon, that, that the reason that she is able to get into Vorlon space when nobody has and come back where nobody has succeeded at that before is because she passed the test. And mm-hmm. I think the uh, the real link between her and Kosh and the, the real deal is, is still yet to come. Yeah. Um, and of course, when she's on the Vorlon homeworld, they're going to mess with her. Mm-hmm. They're going to upgrade her. Give her gills. Give her gills. Um, and start her on the path to growing into yeah. becoming the big nuke. Um, yes. Where she's going to be a P500. Yeah. And it, it's sort of interesting seeing, you know, the guy who replaces Kosh, who, is, who, who calls himself We Are All Kosh, um, um, I think he's referred to in novels and such as Olkesh, um, mm-hmm. as a name. You know, he's abusive to her. And it's it's just it's it's just fascinating, you know. She she spends so much time as a pawn of the Vorlons, um, and in some ways a pawn of Sheridan and um, mm-hmm. the and, oh, yeah. and, and the and the resistance, you know. Before she she doesn't resemble t- Lita from the pilot. She won't resemble this character by the end. I know. Yeah. Which- that's sad. Like that's one thing when we were talking about uh, talking about how I came to this episode the first time. The, one of the main reasons that I really didn't like Talia very much is because I loved Lita mm-hmm. uh, so much throughout um, most of her tenure, and then by the end, I was heartbroken at what had happened to her character and, and what she had gone through. But I. I just kept com- doing making that comparison in my head and my love for Lita just kind of made me go, yeah, get this blonde out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Lita's got, Patricia Tallman's got a much more range than Andrea Thompson. I think, mm-hmm. um, Patricia Tallman was a stunt woman before she started. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, awesome. and there's, a, there's lots of bound, there's lots of bound up redhead energy in there. <laughs> and, and, and she, she uses it when she, uh, when she, uh, confronts Franklin in Med Lab, uh, but then she dials it back when she's talking to Delenn. You know, it's good stuff. She's she's really good, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that she will become a regular in the show. And I even, as many reservations as we may have about the telepath stuff in season five, um, mm-hmm. watching her arc is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whether it makes me happy or not, uh, it's still it's still pretty impressive. And, and and you do see a, a bit of a development in the show. We go from did they kiss or didn't they um, in this episode to her uh, having sex with Byron on camera uh, on camera three year, years from now. So you know, yeah, how times change just a bit. <laughs> yep. Um, I. I as usual, I didn't notice a whole lot of, of other things to talk about. Just a couple of, of little quickies. Uh, I did notice Lita's line, this place is important to a lot of people, more important than you could possibly know. Um, and I think 
you know, maybe that is a, a hash mark in the column that she does kind of know what's coming uh, as far as the Vorlons are concerned, because, you know, that's yeah. that's that's a, a line with great import, you know, shadow war wise. So maybe she does know a little bit more. Yeah. I'm not sure. Or my, my thoughts at that line turn towards, um, you know, all of the different factions on Earth. You know, the the, the Psychor and Earth Force and the different um, sections inside of Earth government. Yeah, but, but, you know, I think most of the characters on the station could suspect all of those different things. I don't think that I think the Shadow War is the, a, a bigger thing. I think that she gets I think she gleans an awful lot from Kosh. Maybe he didn't even tell her, you know, yeah. I- you're starting to convince me, Chip. I, I'm, I'm shifting allegiance. <laughs> Sorry, Shannon. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, of course, we I think we have in the spoiler space previously mentioned before what uh, the only hint we have to Talia's eventual fate, the idea that Bester says that she was dissected. And, you know, that's even though I was not a Talia fan, I always thought that, you know, I didn't buy the idea that she was dissected. I don't feel like Bester or Sycar would throw away something that's that uh, that interesting to them, especially if oh, so if this control personality has been watching the whole time and saw Talia's gift from Jason Ironheart. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way in heck that they're going to give that up because they really want to find out more about it. Um, so then I look back at that, you know, Garibaldi's weird flashback to the thing he hadn't seen. Um about uh you know abbott recording possibly her personality like there's the the, uh the part of me that wants to see a happy ending really really wanted her to come back someday and be made whole again yeah unfortunately i don't think that there was any you know great affection left between the uh, between jms and andrea thompson at that point Mm -hmm. and just close the book yep that's what fanfics for, I suppose. And it's out there. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, I, there was something I debated bringing up before we went into the spoiler space. Uh, but if somebody went to actually look for this, um, it would go into spoiler territory. So I'll mention it here. Um, I don't recall if the trailer for this episode uh, revealed Lita's presence. Um Certainly, anybody who was really paying attention uh, would have seen that hers was the first guest starred name in the in, in the credits. So, you know, mm-hmm. no surprise there. But this episode and the three to follow it were actually held up by Primetime Entertainment Network and didn't actually end, air at the end of season two. Season two kind of, for all intents and purposes, ended early. And they ran these four episodes at the start of what we would otherwise call season three. Whoa. So we have these three, we have these four episodes. And then the very next week, we have a new opening credit sequence. And we have, you know, the first episode of season three going on. Um, That wound up screwing over JMS a little bit because... Around the around this time, the Babylon 5 comic was being published by DC Comics, and issues 5 through 8 are a story that take place on Mars. They're the story of Garibaldi meeting Sinclair and discovering the excavation of a shadow ship. This is a story that is alluded to in the middle of Season 3. And at the very end... 
because this episode was going to air at the end of season two, not the not the beginning of season three, JMS figured he could throw in a little bone at the end of the comic. Oh no! And and the end of issue eight, the Psycor research spot in Syria Planum is shown, and they are escorting somebody from a facility, and it's Talia Winters. And that comic runs before Divided Loyalties actually airs. Oh, man. So JMS actually, to his online crowd, said, do me a favor. When you get issue eight, just put it back in the poly bag and put it away for a few months. I'll explain later. Wow. (laughs) (sighs) That hurts me. (laughs) (laughs) Poor JMS. Oh, that sucks. Oh, well. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes that happens. I would totally have been one of those people that actually did put the comic back in the poly bag and, and wait until later because I never wanted to find my Christmas presents early. I wanted to open them up on Christmas, gosh darn it. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, the other thing that I kind of noticed was the, uh, the similarity to what eventually happens to Garibaldi, having his mind messed with so much by Psychor. Uh, he mm-hmm. eventually does sort of get it back, but it, it, it struck me as, as a bit of a similar, similar tactic. Seems Which like is kind of why we have the Looney Tunes boo, I think. Hmm. I, 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 I still don't think that it made any sense, but that is why it, that is, I think, why we have it. It's our little bit of foreshadowing. Okay. Good point. Good point. Okay. And then, of course, my, my last thing, as I wrote down here in my notes, is Dylan and Sheridan sitting in a tree. K I S S I N G. I just get so happy, you guys. <laughs> oh, so how's the how's the pacing on this feel? Knowing where this is going, how does the pacing feel to y'all? It, I think it's okay. I, I think I was a little bit harsher on it in pre-spoiler space because I didn't want to like reveal my cards too much and be like, "This is the greatest thing ever, you guys." So, um, so yeah, true like confession. I, said, I, I wasn't that upset about it. Yeah, and like I said, I think it fits um, somewhat. With, you know, having had the big, huge, emotional, draining ringing of um, Confessions and Lamentations, the previous episode, that, you know, definitely, you know, they both see each other in a new light, and they're, um, and, you know, I think it makes sense for them to be more relaxed, to be, Mm -hmm. you know, starting dancing around, uh, flirting a little bit, um, or a lot, um, depending on uh, what you see. But, yeah, it it worked for me. It worked for me. It's a very slow build. It, it's it's very old fashioned, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of time between my and Shannon's first meeting, first proper meeting, and kissing and stuff. Shall we say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is an awful lot of time between Sheridan and Delyn meeting mm-hmm. and slowly opening up to each other. And, and the regarding the, yeah, mm-hmm. the circumstances sort of dictate that. I mean, he's the captain of this space station. She's one of the ambassadors. They, they've got to maintain that uh, diplomatic relationship. It um, takes them an awfully long time to see each other in that light, yeah. with the exception of the big reveal in uh, Revelations when she's, you know, she walks in and um, Sheridan's just sort of standing there slack jawed at the yeah. council chamber. 
And to be fair, we've also had, you know, the intrusion, so to speak, of um, just, uh, you know, two episodes ago in The Shadow of Zaha Doom, Sheridan's wife is back on his mind because all of a sudden, you know, the revelation of Morden existing mm. means that he, you know, no longer knows what happened to Anna. Um, so that's the only thing that actually feels a bit off key to me is that, you know, in one episode, he is, you know, got this potential um, line to follow to figure out uh, about his wife. And then in the very next episode, he's, you know, feeling gut wrenched because, you know, he might never see his friend Delenn again. And then in this episode, you know, they're coming very close to flirting with one another. So that's the that's what feels off key to me, if anything does. But. Well, I think maybe he doesn't have I mean, yeah, he's thinking about Anna a little bit, but he has been told in no uncertain terms that these shadows, which are you know, mm-hmm. terrible, awful creatures, have, have killed everybody on that ship. So it's right. it's 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 actually even kind of worse than just the ship blowing up. He, she's been she's been destroyed by this terrible and ancient enemy. Um, so and, mm-hmm. and maybe the fact that he's thinking about her now, clearly he's sort of been tamping that down and not dealing with it. Maybe he's yeah. actually sort of dealt with it a little bit and and been able to off camera, of hmm. course, uh, grieve for her yeah. and, and put that away and is is now for the first time open to a new relationship with someone else. Possibly, okay. because there's no way in heck that he has any conception that she would ally herself with the shadows or something like that. So she has to no. be dead. Yep, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, of good course. point. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, anything else uh, that you guys spotted uh, that points toward the future? Always in motion is the future. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's much more an episode about going going into the past. You know, it's, it is. It's you know, all speaking of-, of that, one thing that I didn't mention, I should have mentioned pre spoiler space in my notes, is that we had Delenn uh, mentioning the Lumati. So yes. they oh, yeah. didn't yes. disappear completely. So it seems like every time we come across a character or a race or something that we say just gets dropped forever and ever. Nope. They, do, they always get one more mention and then yes. they're dropped forever and, and ever. And, and, and noticing that Delenn was like, we're reconsidering this. So <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. Maybe she asked. Uh, maybe she asked Susan before she got involved and, and realized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too funny. All right, Shannon, anything else in your notes? Yes, although it doesn't have nearly as much to do with um, Babylon 5 itself as much as um, things that I think JMS likes to write. When Delenn tells Sheridan, you know, luck changes, the wheel turns. That made me think of Sense8, his current show that uh, is being produced, because another of his characters in that show says almost the exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, that you, you, you wait a few minutes. If things are, you know, looking as bleak as they can, just wait a little longer. The wheel will turn and, and things will change. And, but that just screamed at me this time. Caffius, right? Um, actually, no, I think it was um, Kala. Hmm. Kala talking to Wolfgang. Hmm. By the way, Erica, how far are you guys on Sense8? We finished it. Oh, I want to talk about it. I want to okay. talk about it in not an extra. Not now. No, not now, <laughs> but in an extra. I want an extra. All right. I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say, though. <laughs> We've been able to disagree before. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, I th- Chip, I think that you were definitely right that uh, that this episode is much more about uh, dipping back into the past, sometimes like in very literal terms as we see things that mm-hmm. happened long ago. Oh, it, it, resolves about- more, it resolves more than it sets up. 
Yeah, which, you know, that's kind of a nice change <laughs> for every once in a while. A little refreshing, uh, refreshing finish to something rather than setting up more and more questions. Because there will be plenty of more of those coming. Right. But so. next time. Next time. Yeah, a little inside baseball for you listeners. Uh, uh, we're recording a bunch of these early because Stephen and I are taking a trip to London. And um, I'm actually going to be out of the country for about a month. So with all this travel coming up, we're banking ahead. Um, and Stephen realized that that after this, th- we only had three more episodes of season two. Um, and he really did not want to go all the way to the UK and, you know, take this month off of recording and then <laughs> try to remember what else was ha- had been happening in season two to just pick up with these last three episodes. So he was like, can we just watch them before you know, before we go. And he's like, you know, we'll rewatch them later when you actually record the podcast, but I'd like to get them out of the way. And I was like, absolutely. So <laughs> we have now watched all the way to the end of, of season two. And I made him watch the opening credits to season three, because the one thing that I have been the most, and this is stupid, you guys, but the thing I've been the most <laughs> worried about people spoiling for him is in the opening credits for the first couple seasons, you know, it's, it's, and the name of the place is Babylon 5, which he giggles at every time. So I was really looking forward to seeing the look on his face when uh, when the credits finally say, you know, the place, Babylon 5. Um, he was, his reaction was, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to that when uh, it's time to ask him about the uh, Star Fury interceptions there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so that's mm. that's my little bit of excitement, and yeah. uh, I won't actually get to talk to the two of you for a while in real time. But the rest of you should, you know, there should be no hiccups. Yeah, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. Shannon, how are we going to wait a month to watch the Long Twilight struggle and watch Narn get blown into the Stone Age? Um, you could always you could always watch it early too, and then rewatch it like yeah. like we will be doing. Stephen even said he's like, "Oh, I'm definitely rewatching with you." So okay, thumbs up. There, so there's that. Good mm-hmm. man, Stephen. Yep. Yeah. Pretty exciting. All right. Well, with that, uh, it, it's a long wait for us, but but uh, Shannon, I know that you will be up to the task when we get <laughs> around to it. So I'm passing the baton in your general okay. direction. And uh, until next time, come and visit us in the spoiler threads on the website because there's always really good conversation going there. And I'm interested to uh, to, to hear what everyone has seen and noticed uh, surrounding the Talia plot because quite often you guys notice stuff that, that I never even pick up on. So, so come at us and let us know. And of course, at B5 Audio Guide on Twitter and Tumblr. So until next time, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.